Foundation Physiotherapy at Georgetown Honda present Out of the Park with Barry Davis. This week, former Blue Jay Jesse Barfield helps us realize that in Blue Jay land, maybe it's time to start getting excited. This is very gratifying. I mean, this team reminds me a lot of our 85 team. They can do a lot of things well, oh a little things to help get win ball games. They don't just do it by the long ball. I mean, they do it in single right field, single left field, they, they get it done. And that's how you win. You're not gonna win just hitting home runs. And now, here's a man that Jesse Barfield wasn't defending to the Houston Astros at the beginning of the season. It's Barry Davis. Hey, I'll tell you this, Tom. I am old enough to remember just how good those Jesse Barfield offenses were. I'm also old enough to remember how bad they were in 1977. And I probably know how baseball was before the Blue Jays ever existed. I'm old. Okay, I get it. But um, (laughs) I'll tell you one thing. Jesse Barfield knows his baseball. And if he says that this is not too soon to ordain this team the best offense in Blue Jays history, I'm going to believe him. And why not? This team has done so much. But what is it about this team that he loves so much? We will find out on this week's episode of Out of the Park. You are in for a very, very fun conversation with the former Toronto Blue Jay. We talk about his relationship with Bell and Mosby. We talk about some of the managers he's had a chance to work with. Jesse runs the gauntlet on conversations. We even find out how he and his wonderful wife Marla met. A beautiful love story here on Out of the Park. Yeah, a wonderful story. And, you know, the biggest nugget I got out of it was, you know, he gave us a little glimpse into how it is he stays so overwhelmingly positive and upbeat on baseball Twitter. Yes. And speaking of, when we return, we will tell you why. It is much easier to be positive about the Toronto Blue Jays here as we get to the middle part of September than it was at the end of August. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening to and watching Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by the fine folks, including myself at Georgetown Honda. Can I call myself a fine folk, Tom? Is that is that being a little bit too egotistical? Well, you know what? I'd say maybe the finest. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You you thought the joke was coming, but yes. Uh, If you're interested in a car, folks, come see me. Give me a shout. I'm at Georgetown Honda. We have, uh, well, we have some inventory issues, as all car dealers do right now. If you see a car that you like, buy it. Don't wait, because it will be gone real fast. Uh, The good news is, if you like Honda Civics, we've got the all-new redesigned 2022 Honda Civics in. We will soon be getting in the 2022 CRVs. Uh, We're getting some ridge lines. If you're into the pickup trucks, we're actually getting a couple of those in. Problem is... COVID has uh, caused a lot of fallout in many ways, and one of them is in the auto industry. There's been a shortage of microchips, so cars are not being built as quickly as they have been in the past. But if you're looking for something, give me a shout. I will find a car for you. That's my goal. I'm going to find something for you. Except for you, Tom. I'll never find you a car. It's okay. I've seen you chase fly balls. I'll find myself a car if I need it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> speaking speaking of... So in the Blue Jays game on Saturday, there was a pop fly behind home plate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Did it bring back and the memories? Mi- and the Minnesota Twins catcher, who's paid a lot more to catch baseballs than I ever was, dropped the foul ball behind home plate. And God love him, 
But Buck Martinez says, well, yeah, you know, that. I'm, you, I've seen that before many times. You know, Dan, we, we've all done that before. When I did it, he was laughing at me, making fun of me. How do you drop a foul ball like that? How do you? It's not easy to catch a foul ball. No, nope. That's all I'm saying. Nope. No, no, but I think it should still be okay to make fun of someone that drops one. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Make fun. <laughs> make fun of me all day long. That's totally fine. Uh, Tom, when we spoke last week, we were talking about, okay, Blue Jays are back in it. They're, they're gaining some ground. They may have a chance to, to get a wild card spot. Uh, as we sit and speak and record this show, the Blue Jays go into Sunday's game still grabbing on to one of those spots because the Yankees lost Saturday. The Blue Jays win. This is going to be a fun couple of weeks because two of the Red Sox, Yankees, and Blue Jays are going to make it to the postseason. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be two of those three teams. One of them isn't going to make it. So this is all going to come down to whichever team is the hottest. I don't want to turn this into any kind of a negative conversation, but if the Blue Jays were to make the postseason, I'm not talking the wild card game. I'm talking about the ALCS, and you're lining up your rotation. I can't have Ryu in that rotation right now. I think that if it was just a blip, one bad start, I understand. But he's been rocked now two in a row. He hasn't pitched very long. He hasn't pitched very well in general in the second half of the season. I'm not putting him in my rotation. He's not part of my three-man squad going into the postseason. What, what says you, Thomas? I think that's fair. Um, I think I'm really glad that he's going to get at least another start this year. Yes, because I don't want to discount someone with such a history of success, right, and and consistency. Ryu's only problem with the Dodgers ever was was injuries, really, right? He's always rocked those low ERAs. But let's face it, you know, there were some rule changes this year that a lot of reporting is out there has affected different pitchers in different ways. And, you know, I hate to – I'm not going to paint Ryu with that brush. Um, but it does give Jays fans maybe a little bit of cause for concern. Yeah, it, it get, there's there's definitely an extra question mark. Like we don't know if he was using spider tack when it was quasi legal, and we don't know if that, you know, the the drop that we've seen in his spin rate and his performance has been because spider tack isn't being used anymore. Those are things that I'm sure the organization knows, and they'll deal with appropriately. And I'm sure they'll probably have a huge impact on what happens in the pro- playoff roster. You're right. You have to go with your three best starters mm-hmm. in a seven-game series. And right now, their three best starters are Robbie Ray, uh, Barrios, and Manoa. Those are your three best starters. The thing is, when you have somebody like Ryu, who's been a starter his whole career, I mean, throughout his career with the Dodgers, it was never even a question. Will he be in the rotation? Of course he's in the rotation. He's, you know, you're one of your best one-two guys. Mm-hmm. But you can't, you can't just look at what he's done in the past and say, well, he's going to be our, you know, one of our starting pitchers. I don't know if you can take that chance at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there's still a couple of weeks, and he'll have a few more starts, and hopefully he can rectify and get back to the Ryu that we know. But in a short series, man, I, I tell you, uh, it, it's getting harder and harder to find a place for him in that rotation. I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world. I like going into the playoffs with Ryu in the bullpen. Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, remember Tim Lincecum when he went to the bullpen for the for the Giants yes. and resurrected? And I mean, 
Ryu hasn't had the problems that Lincecum was coming back from when, when, when he found success in the Giants' bullpen. He's just had a few bad starts, maybe a bad second half of the season. Putting him on short, like, I love the look of our bullpen with a guy like Ryu in it. But the thing is, if the issue is what you're saying it is, where he just can't get a good grip on the ball, do you want that guy coming out of the bullpen with the game on the line in a tight ball game? Right? They need to find out what it is that's causing these issues. They need mm-hmm. to know why Ryu is not pitching the way he's capable of pitching. But that's all I want to say that's on the negative side. Right? We're here. Right. To, we've got Jesse Barfield coming let's in, the talk most positive, positive person yes, in baseball. Please. So let's yes. let's talk let's talk positive. And right now, uh, there's just so much to like about this Toronto Blue Jays team. I want so badly to see Vladimir Guerrero win the triple crown. But I would not be overly upset if he lost out on the triple crown because Teoscar Hernandez has more RBIs because more RBIs means more runs are coming in to score and more chances. The blue Jays are going to win games. And I don't think Vladimir Guerrero is going to hold it against Teoscar Hernandez. If he ends up having more RBIs than Vladdy, I just think it's, it's wonderful to see. It's wonderful that everybody in this offense is contributing. Danny Jansen has come back from the injured list and he's, he's rocking it now. I really like seeing yeah. what, what's happening from him. And, and George Springer is still, you know, making his way back. And we're going to talk to Raj Sapai later in the show and find out uh, why it is that, you know, George Springer is still having these kind of issues with the knee on and off and, and what the best plan moving forward would be for him and the Toronto Blue Jays. But what has been impressed, impressing you the most about this team because again it was just a few months ago that everyone had this team written off charlie montoyo everyone's saying he needs to be fired well jesse's going to tell us why he thinks charlie montoyo is a great manager too coming up so you want to hear that but it really has been a build on this team they've gotten better and better they're playing home again it just seems to me there this is this is the time you want a team to play their best baseball that's what the jays are doing right now yeah yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, even losing a game here or there in Toronto right now, people are kind of tending to lose their mind. But you know who this team reminds me of? It's, it's not the 2015 team. It's the 93 team. Mm-hmm. And and the offense, I mean, we don't have Whamco, but we may be on the verge of four players with 100 RBI seasons. Do you have a, an anagram, anagram for that? What would the anagram? Uh, no, I don't think it's a good one. It's like sh- no, uh, shga, shga. Yeah, it's just yeah, no, nah, no, it, no, it don't no, work. No, we need it. No, we need no. to come up with something better than that. Yeah, uh, Josh Donaldson uh, made <laughs> another return to the Rogers Center. If I'm not mistaken, did he not come back as a member of the Cleveland Indians? Like, wasn't he back in Toronto once before? I remember that. I remember that, but it didn't hurt as much as this reunion did. What you say hurt? Yeah, he, I mean, he's hit. He's hit some home runs against the Jays. But the fans gave him an incredible standing ovation. Yeah. And yeah. I'm totally fine with that. And, and I love right, it. I mean, yep. Josh Donaldson did some wonderful things. But here's the way it works when you're a returning player. Thank you for what you've done. Here's your standing ovation. Now you're the enemy. You're on the other team. Now we're not going to cheer you anymore. If you hit a home run, we're not going to cheer your home run because that's going against our team. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that that Blue Jay fans should be like, Yes, J.D. just hit a home run to put the Twins out in front. If Joey Bats came out of retirement. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about Joey Bats. Joey Bats no, was a Blue talking, Jay a we're long talking about, time. Yeah, yeah, but we're, we're talking about the last Blue Jay to win the MVP. I don't know. I, 
man, I have a hard time booing anybody from that 2015 team. And I think mm. a lot of people in Toronto would. It's not his fault that we traded him. Well. We, hold on, hold on. You see, my memory of that particular era is, is a little bit fuzzy. Did we trade him or did he? No, uh, the Blue Jays traded him for Julian Merriweather. And that was, you know, he he started the season with the Blue Jays. Remember, he, he was having a whole bunch of trouble throwing the ball to first base. And, you know, the thought was, okay, well, maybe Josh Donaldson's best years are behind him. But, and, and clearly, I mean, he's not going to have another MVP-type season at, at his age and, and the wear and tear on his body. But having said that, he's done an incredible uh, job making the most of what he has. And he's not going to the postseason this year. And the Blue Jays might. So that's all I care about. The Blue Jays have a really good shot at going to the postseason, and I'm really excited. And let's hope, let's hope, and I know there's been some talk, and Mark Shapiro is uh, trying to get the ball in motion to allow more fans into the Rogers Center for the, you know, the, the last homestand. Mm. Because you go around baseball, and the Jays are playing in road ballparks that have 35, 40, 50,000 fans in them. Yep. You, need, you need to have that crowd. Uh, if they can't do it for the regular season, I really hope they can fill the place for, for the postseason because uh, the fans are so important to, to the product on the field, and the product on the field has been phenomenal. All right, still to come, folks, a wonderful conversation with a wonderful human being and just a tremendous baseball player in Jesse Barfield. But first of all, what is going on with the Blue Jays' leadoff hitter? We'll find out next. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening to and watching Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. Joining us as he does each and every week here on Out of the Park is our good pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. Three real locations, one virtual location. Uh, are you finding, Raj, more and more now that people are coming back to the clinic and you're doing less of the online Zoom treatments? Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. People are coming back to the clinics. They're feeling safe. We're safe. Um, there's still Zoom available for people that can't travel or, you know, need to get a quick, some, a quick consult done and can't come in. So we still have that option and it works great, but uh, we're open and happy to see you if you need any healthcare needs. Raj, a lot the of... Luigi... Go ahead. Go ahead, Barry. Tom. No, go, go ahead, ahead Tom. Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. <laughs> easy, guys. Oh, oh. Easy. We okay. both might oh. need physio if this keeps it's, up. It's Okay. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, you know, a, a lot of businesses have changed how they're operating right now because of COVID. So we're, you know, we're going two years into it and you work heavily with people. How is business for, for you and for physiotherapists in general? Is it up? Is it down? It is. I mean, uh, I think, I think we're consistent, right? People need our care and we're consistent. It was down, obviously, when everything was shut down, but we've picked back up and it's fairly consistent. Our locations in the city are a little bit quieter because the city has less people. Uh, but I think generally, obviously, lucky that my business is better than a restaurant or a gym. Uh, we're, we're, we're staying, we're doing okay, considering the environment around us. So. May I go now, Tom? Can I speak? <laughs> go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest concerns for the Blue Jays uh, as they head into the postseason, because it looks like they've got a good chance of making the postseason now and going far, and uh, we'll talk to Jesse Barfield about that later in the show. But uh, one of the biggest concerns is the ongoing health concerns of George Springer. Now, George Springer uh, has something what they call a knee contusion. And, and as you know, uh, this can mean a, a myriad of things. What it looks like now 
is that he's dealing with pain. Now, we've talked about pain before, but we've also talked about the fact that, you know, you also don't want to re-injure it. And, and this happened to him a few weeks ago where he fouled mm -hmm. a ball off of his knee. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, it seems that whenever we as humans injure ourselves, that if we're going to bang a part of our body at any point, it always seems to be the part that's already injured. Why is that, <laughs> scientist? Well, I mean, listen, he banged up the part, but it's that part that got swollen and more painful. Sometimes you can bang a part and it doesn't have to get swollen and painful. You know, we've hit little things here and there and we don't even feel pain. Um, so my theory and my experience, I think if you've had an injury in a certain area and it hasn't been fully recovered and I have my opinions and I don't think Springer's first round of therapy was maybe they brought him back too soon. And so now this, you know, even a smaller impact or a minimal impact creates more swelling and pain in that region because the, the knee is just irritated. It's easier to irritate. You know, it's like how you and Tom. First time you meet you guys, are now now the smallest thing Tom says just bugs you more and more, right? Well, same we're, thing. Like, we're like an old married couple. Exactly. It's like an old married couple, right? Same thing with your knee and, and injury, right? The first time the injury happens, if it's not fully recovered, the next time the smallest thing can affect it even more. And now smaller things can even trigger a larger response, right? Because just that's the way our body works. So um, I think his rehab the first time around in August probably, or they maybe brought him back too soon, um, maybe because they needed to because it was, you know, crucial time right to get that wild card spot so you know I, I think they could have kept him off more and got full strength and that's probably why he's in the situation he's in right now blue jays fans have long lamented the turf situation at the rogers center mm -hmm. and you know more than one past player has blamed it for the litany of injuries that <laughs> blue jay players such as just josh donaldson kelly gruber have, have suffered over the years Devin travis Mm -hmm. Devin Travis. Yeah. Could we be seeing that here? And it might be this, but might this be one of those things where George Springer gets done his contract and goes, man, that turf killed me. Uh, <laughs> obviously when you're not tied up to the, to the organization, you can say whatever you want. Right. So th they could say that. Um, I mean, I, do they train on the turf? I don't know what the training's like the training on the turf. They're probably, you know, more in tune, but you know, they might have to do with it. They, they're doing some training on grass during spring training and then they move to turf and there's a bit of a transition there. So it, you could look into the training and maybe simulate that environment in their off season training. Right. Um, that might be a, that's what I would do. Actually, I'd be like, we're playing on turf and that's a crucial time. And we're going to train on turf all the time. <laughs> right. And players don't like it, but that's what we need if that's what the environment is. So. Gosh, when we talk to Jesse Barfield later in the show, we talk about Springer. And one of the things he says about Springer is this guy just wants to play. He'll, you know, play through whatever. And sometimes that causes him more injury because when there are times where he needs to slow down, he won't slow down. So as a th physiotherapist, if you have somebody that just is not going to slow down when you need them to slow down, what kind of advice can you give them to allow them to go but not cause more damage? Uh, I mean, I hate to use that. This is the last tactic I use, but with a lot of, you know, I would say a lot, there are, there's a good, there's a, there's a good chunk of patients that don't do anything. They, they, they revert. And there's a good chunk of patients that do too much when they're injured. Right. Uh, for those people, I try to, I, I, I hate to say, but I use a little bit more of that fear tactic. I'm like, listen, if you don't take care of it now, the next time you get injured, it's going to get worse. And, you know, if I'm talking to George, I'm like, George, you know, we don't want to be injured in October. Let's be injured in August. Let's take a month off in August. Let's fix it so we're ready for September, October, right? Because now you could be off in September, and that's crucial. 
So that might be the conversation I have. Again, it's up to the person's decision, but I might, I might use that strategy. It's not, it's not a strategy we like to use, but sometimes we have to, uh, to get people to listen. You just got to show them what's on, what's better. Is it better to be hurt now or better to be hurt later? Right? <laughs> and if it's better to be hurt now, let's fix it. Uh, let's take the time off. Let's slow down. Let's strengthen and let's fix it. Sometimes people got to, people got to hear that. They got to hear that reality of it. That's the part of the job we don't like, unfortunately, but we do have to do it, especially with high-performing athletes. I, in fact, the people I do it the most with are high-performing athletes. As a physiotherapist, when you see these, you know, litany like a litany of injuries, one after another, long-term injuries that are nagging and won't go away, is that often the problem with these high-performing athletes? Mm-hmm. Is it that they're trying too hard and not giving themselves time to recuperate? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of two things. I think you said it right, uh, Tom. It's it's recovery time, not giving themselves enough time to recover. So it's overtraining right? Uh, they're overtraining, like it's just on and on and on and off. But if you've got a small little injury, it's not going away. Sometimes I do recommend like, just take two weeks to fix that little thing. Cause it's your body telling you something, but sometimes they can't because it's the nature of the training or their sport or there's a tournament coming up. But then we try to make, you know, we, we try to be realistic. Okay. Look, when do you have, when in this next few months, can you actually take some time? And if that's the time you can, now you're in physio every day for those next two weeks, because that's your downtime before the next big tournament. Now you're in physio every day and you're, you're at the gym and you're in physio every day and we're going to fix this. Right. And, and maybe that's how a lot of it is communication and negotiating with the athlete. Here's the other thing too, is as you have mentioned many times on this show, everyone has a different threshold of pain. So if it were me suffering what George Springer is suffering from, I'd be on the floor crying and saying, I'm not, I'm not moving until this feels better. George Springer has a higher threshold of pain. So are there situations where pro athletes are doing damage to themselves simply because they don't feel the pain? They don't realize just what kind of damage is there. Exactly. Or they have an ability to um, ignore the pain, right? Because it's just a, a, a mindset. And I, I don't know if they're doing damage to themselves, but what they're really doing is they're um, reducing their ability to rebound or recover quicker, right? And then eventually something's going to happen like a contusion in which they're going to be out, Right. And that's why it's important to listen to our body uh, and, and trust the professionals. Right? Sometimes a pain might just be a minor thing. And we say, fine, tape it up and you go. But if the professional says you need a few weeks off, you need a few weeks off. But that's always the balance, right, between the healthcare realm and the economic and the, and the outcomes that are, you know, what's on the line for the athlete the team, right? There's, there's always, we've always seen, we've heard those stories so many times, you know, in all the sports, right? Because there's just so much at stake. Well, Roger, this just come to my a realization that I really do have a high threshold of pain because you are the biggest pain in the ass. And yet we still have you on each and every week. Oh, I mean, ah, oh, come on, Barry. Don't, don't, don't call we'll, me that. And we'll do it. No, we love you, Raj. One of us is a pain. I will agree yes. with Barry on that much. Whenever I say Raj is a pain in the ass translated, that means Tom. Tom. So I, Raj I think Tom is Tom. bigger. Yeah, oh, I was trying to. I was trying Tom to. Tom is like Raj. that. See, Tom is like that okay, nagging injury man. that doesn't go away. <laughs> right. But, right. But here's the thing: at the end of the day, this is my show, and I have the last word. <laughs> Oakland has 33. Now, if this carries, it might be number 38. Lombardi can't get it. The last two home runs Barfield is in here. Jim single by Martinez. Gidry's been tough. He really has, and oh no, that's gone. How do you like this Barfield? Well, joining us right now is a former member of the Toronto Blue Jays, a, a guy that, uh, well, after all these years, Jesse Barfield, 
Uh, Blue Jay fans still absolutely adore you, and, and there's a reason why. You're a good human being as well as, as a great baseball player. Uh, there is a lot of excitement in the city of Toronto, in fact, in the entire country of Canada right now. I know you're following along with this. Uh, for a guy who's played for this organization, how exciting is this for you to see? This is very gratifying. I mean, this team reminds me a lot of our 85 team. They can do a lot of things well, a little things to help win ball games. They don't just do it by the long ball. I mean, they do it they either single the right field, single the left field, they, they get it done. And that's how you win. You're not going to win with just hitting home runs. Is there something about this team early on that kind of noted Because fans seem to have been taken almost by surprise, this last amazing run of baseball. Uh, it seems like three weeks ago, everybody was talking about the end of the season and who we should give up. And, you know, I follow you on Twitter, Jesse. You weren't one of those people. You've, you've really spoken highly about this team all the way through and seem like you've seen the ceiling. But is there something about this team early on that had you a believer in them? Well, first off, I live down here in Houston, and everybody knows the Astros are a pretty good ball club, so I get harassed all the time. And uh, I told the guys back then, the ones that were that were talking trash, I said, yeah, you guys are good, no doubt. You're better than us right now. But you wait until we get to full strength. We're not even at full strength yet. It's awesome that you still refer to the team as we, because once you're a Blue Jay, you're always a Blue Jay. We spoke to Pat Henkin last week, and, you know, the same type of thing. Um, when it comes to what you and Tom were just talking about, about seeing, you know, beyond the record that Jays had early on, I always look at that run differential. And I remember back in 2015, Alex Anthopoulos saying, listen, I know we don't look good in the standings right now, but look at our run differential. Eventually that's going to pick up and, and it's going to kind of even itself out. I mean, the Jays have the second best run differential in baseball. Was it just a matter of time before they started winning some of these games? Absolutely. We all know baseball is contagious, pitching, hitting, defense, everything. And these guys picked it up at the right time. And uh, fortunately for them, the other ball clubs take uh, at the wrong time for them. But, hey, we'll take whatever they give us. <laughs> <laughs> You've spoken glowingly about Teoscar Hernandez. And a lot of people have compared your, his swing to yours. And I think that's a fair comparison. But one comparison I haven't heard and that kind of struck me is Mr. Guriel with a fantastic arm in the outfield, leading the AL in assists. Is there a little bit of yourself that you see in him? Well, that kid is talented. He can do a lot of things well. And uh, he's very accurate. When he takes his time and sets up and gets his feet behind him and underneath him, he's very, he's very dangerous out there. He's a weapon defensively. He really is. And it makes you think, Jess, and I don't know if it's too soon to ordain this group, the best offense in Blue Jays franchise history, but it's got to be up there, right? I mean, yeah, definitely the, the Whamco still is always going to be, in my mind, the best that we've ever had. And then you look at those teams in 2015 and 2016. But is it too early to say this is the best offense in franchise history? I can't say it's too early simply because the teams you just mentioned, they were home run heavy. And like I said earlier, these guys are throttling back, taking that single the other way when they need to. Uh, the situational hitting has increased dramatically. Uh, they know what to do in those situations. Uh, like Guriel saying, uh, hey, what are you doing in those situations where you have the bases loaded? Hey, I'm just trying to hit the ball in the air. That's simple. That's simplicity at its best. And he stays with, it, with himself. He stays within himself. His game plan is solid. And that, that trickles all the way down through the, 
down to the nine hole hitter. Everybody's contributing. Different guy every night. Jesse, does, does Charlie Montoyo not deserve a little more credit? I mean, he got ripped terribly by the, a, a lot of people uh, when the team was struggling. Yet it's funny, now the team is doing well. You never hear anyone saying, well, a lot of that credit should go to Charlie Montoyo. I mean, everything you're describing sounds like a team philosophy, a, just a way of thinking for an organization. And the manager has to be part of that decision-making, correct? Without a doubt. I love the hire from the very beginning. Uh, I'm the one that said, hey, be patient with Mark Shapiro. When he first came in, people were ripping him a new one. That guy came from a great baseball family. He knows the game. My son played for him. And, you know, I knew right away that this was going to be a plus. We lost some great people when they went down to Atlanta, the coaching staff there. And you see why they're having success down there as well. It's a winning culture. And the Blue Jays have picked it up. They, they, they playing, they're playing solid baseball all the way around. So from the front office all the way down to the, to the player development staff, I tip my hat to all those guys. They hung in there and did it right. You bring up a good point about, you know, people ripping on Shapiro when he got here. I was one of those people for the first couple of years, but I, I think Barry will attest over the last two years, you can't deny the solid foundation that this ball club has. But, you know, Jesse, following you on social media, is it hard to stay positive and to see the positive? Because you've got one of probably the best feel-good Blue Jays accounts on Twitter. You know, you're always looking at the bright side of things. In the case of Shapiro, you're supporting people that, as it turns out, it was really sp smart to support rather than give in and throw in the towel. But is it difficult as a, as, a, as a player, as a former player, as a baseball guy to stay so positive all the time in social media in this world? Well, you have to. I mean, you look, you look at social media. <laughs> it's, it's a joke sometimes. You know, it's, it's, it's a haven for negativity. I'm just trying to turn that around and do something positive and make sure that People start looking at the bright side of things. There's always two sides of the coin. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, it seems that, you know, everyone is picking a side of the coin. And what I love about you is that, you know, you just tell it like it is. You're positive. And whether you, because let's face it, we're in a, a divided world right now. And whether you're on this side of the fence or this side of the fence, everybody can agree with what you're saying, which is nice. And, and you know, the world needs a lot more of that. Do you have times where you're looking at stuff on Twitter and you're just like shaking your head going, I, I, I really can't read this stuff because it's just getting to me because it's so negative. There are times I try not to read the negative, to be honest with you. I'm a realistic person, always have been. Uh, you know, if the Blue Jays or, or the teams that I follow, if they suck, then I'm going to tell you. I'm positive. I'm mm -hmm. positive they suck right now. <laughs> they need to fix this. <laughs> But at the same time, you have to be patient with young players. And they, they were patient. They took their lumps for a few years. Uh, them getting into the playoffs last year, to me, set the tone for this season, although it was really crazy because of COVID-19. The pandemic had them all over the place. So them, what they're doing now, I think it actually helped this team grow together. Uh, the camaraderie is amazing. I love the culture of this ball club. Uh, that's something that, that speaks a lot of volume to me. You look at the guys in the corner, you look at all the coaching, coaches, coaching staff, uh, how they gel together. You see the pitchers. Uh, you see Manoa staying loose no matter what happens during the game. He's starting as he's up there on the front step talking trash and loving it. I, I mean, this guy, you can't shake a guy like that. You need people like that around you. And, you know, you've got 
guys that are battling for positions, battling for playing time, right? You have a lot of extra infielders. You have some extra outfielders. You've got three catchers on the team right now. You would think that that was a recipe for a lot of jealousy, a lot of envy. But instead, I mean, there's Danny Jansen, the first one to congratulate Kirk. And there's Reese McGuire there to congratulate Danny. Is that harder than it appears, Jesse, on a team when there are guys all fighting for playing time? And when this guy is having a great game, it's probably going to mean that I'm going to be sitting a little bit longer. You know, enough, enough can't be said about the culture. You talked about that, and you heard Mark Shapiro talk about that, and other people talk about that. The reason why I say they remind me of our 85 team, we cared about each other. Now, off camera, we ripped each other a new one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the clubhouse, we kept each other loose. But when we went out there on the field, you didn't mess with our brothers. They're family members, like your little brother. You, you get tired of them, but let someone else pick on them and see what happens. They care about each other. And because of that, they're going to go out there and go through a brick wall if they need to. And unfortunately, it doesn't always work because you know a guy like uh, uh, Springer, you know, he plays 110%. And because of that, he's injured himself a few times. But, hey, man, you can't take that away from him because that's one of the reasons why George Springer is such a great ball player. So, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, Barry and I were discussing what looked to be a season that wasn't going the right way. And, and you know, we kind of saw the, the silver lining in that 92 and 93 wouldn't have happened without 85 and without the heartbreak of 87, 89, 91. Um, is this year an 87 or, uh, or an 85 in your mind, or is it a 92, 93? And if it's an 87, why, what is it that you think is going to keep us from success? And if we're going into a great postseason here, what is it that you think is going to make the Blue Jays jump over the top? Well, first off, if they stay the course and play the way they've been playing for the last month, month and a half, uh, they can beat almost anybody they play. And, uh, you know, anything can happen in the playoffs. Let's get there first. You take it one game at a time. You take it one pitch, one situation at a time. And don't do more than a situation calls for. Stay within yourself. And by doing that, make the pitches. Uh, trust your defense. Uh, trust the guy ahead of you. If you get that guy over, that he's going to do his job. Just do what you need to do in that situation. And if you think like that, I'm not thinking about winning the entire World Series. Yes, it's in the back of everybody's mind, but you have to sure you have to set short-term goals in order to reach that goal. And uh, this is a big series right now. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure these guys have their eyes on trying to trying to win the entire division, and they may not make that. But guess what? I'd rather aim high and miss a little bit than shoot low and make it. But I like what these guys are doing. Uh, I like their preparation. Uh, as long as they stay the course, they're going to be fine. Be said, Jesse, about playing your best baseball heading into the postseason, right? I mean, yeah, the the Yankees or the Red Sox could still grab one of those playoff spots, but I mean, they've been playing crappy baseball for the last month. Meanwhile, the Jays have been just, you know, I, I've always said that it's better to be the chaser than the chasee going down the stretch. Because if you're the chaser and you get in, you've got the momentum going. Now, for a guy who played the game, is there something to be said about that? It is very important. It is very important. Um, you can't count out the Yankees and the Red Sox. You look at that roster. You look at the guys on the field. I mean, yeah, they're struggling right now. But guess what? One, one series can turn that, that whole season around for them. 
So you can't think that you're all that in a bag of chips right now. I mean, you got you have to win that game tonight. You have to win that series. And if you stay focused on those things, you don't get overwhelmed about what other people are doing and what have you. You take care of business at home, it'll work out for you. So with this team heading into the playoffs, if there's one player, either offense or defense, that you think is going to be the big difference maker, maybe it's not the Vladdy, but someone that you're, you know, that has really excited you that maybe hasn't gotten their due that you think has a chance to really perform well this offseason. Wow. So many guys have done yeah. a great job. You <laughs> pick one out. I mean, you, you've had guys that have carried the ball club for a number of weeks. You've had some unsung heroes come off the bench and do little things. But I think it's going to boil down to the little things in, in, in the game to win ball games. Um, whoever pops up in that situation, stay within themselves. Don't try to do more than the situation calls for. Uh, because that lineup can hurt you from one through nine, to be honest with you. Uh, Teoscar may not get you that night. Vladdy may not get you that night. George will probably be the hero. This guy will probably be the hero. That guy, it doesn't matter who does it. Just get the job done. And you know what I, I think is a great sign is that opposing teams and players and even managers are now starting to get ticked off at the Jays, right? We saw it in the Baltimore series where they were getting on, on Robbie Ray, uh, you know, Everywhere around the league, you know what that means? That means the Blue Jays have served notice that they're they're a team to be reckoned with, right? I mean, you don't get ticked off like that against a team that's last place and doesn't have a chance. That's true. That's a very good point, Barry. And, uh, you know, tempers are going to flare in the game. Uh, I'm glad they handled it the way they handled it. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot to say about what the manager said and why he said it, screaming at a pitcher, but... That's one of those unwritten rules you don't do in baseball. You know, you don't talk to our guy. If you got something to say, say it to the other manager. But uh, in any event, they handled it well. Uh, he's a better man than me. Because <laughs> 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 I'll tell you that. I'm a nice guy, but there's a button that you – everyone has a button. And I'm glad that they handled it the way they did. Cool Jesse, head, yeah. <laughs> Taking that philosophy that we were talking about, uh, as far as, you know, just worrying about trying to get through this series or trying to get through that game and not looking too far ahead. 1985, you guys go into the ALCS against the Kansas City Royals. Uh, before we get to the fact that you guys were, were there and had a chance to win it and, you know, uh, a wind a wind-aided triple ended all that for you, what was that feeling for the team? Was there a moment leading into the series where you're thinking, we can beat this team and we're going to go to the World Series? And then when you're up on them, and you're that close. I think, was it 3-1 you guys had a series lead against the Royals? Were you guys getting a little ahead of yourselves at all? I don't know if it's us getting ahead of ourselves. We still talk about it collectively. Why did we pitch to George Brett? Why did we pitch to him? Why did he let we let him hurt us? Uh, I don't make the managerial decisions, but I do remember out in center field during the meeting where we were talking, I said, they're going to walk Brett. Yeah, George said, yeah, they're going to walk in the shaker. said, oh, for sure, they're going to walk in. They go out to right field. And I'm looking for Ernie to go walk in. <laughs> and he kneels deep. He, he squats down. I'm like, they better pitch around him. And sure enough, Doyle tried to fool him again. You don't fool a guy like George Brett. Because when your approach is right, people ask me all the time, the best player you ever 
you ever played against. He's the best hitter I've ever played against. That's for sure. That guy knows how to hit in the clutch. And this is what I'm talking about earlier. George Brett is the reason why they won that World Series. And that particular game showed the whole world who he really is and why you don't pitch to him in certain situations. We did, and we co- it cost us. We paid for it dearly. Talking about George Brett, I mean, obviously one of the greatest hitters in, in baseball history. Is he a different type of hitter than exists today in the game? All the focus on launch angles and putting the ball in the air. Is there anybody in the game that would even be comparable to, to Brett? Well, I'll put it this way. It's a, it's, a lot, it's a lot of hitters that know how to hit in situations. Uh, whether they get up there in that situation or not, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the game. But a Brett could hit a double. A Brett could hit a single the other way. And, of course, he had, he had power. But he stayed within himself. It doesn't matter who you are or what stats you have. You stay within yourself and try to do what that situation calls for. I don't mean to be redundant, but that's the truth. Good things will happen because if you try to do too much, and like they say in this game, when you when you try to do too much, you usually don't do too much. And Brett and I became friends later, and we talked about situation. Reggie Jackson, I asked Reggie one day, I said, Reggie, how is it that you can go up in those situations and just, like it's no big deal, just – club three home runs in the World Series. He goes, in front of 50-plus thousand people, he said, Jesse, I see the fans out there, but I don't feel them. I go up to home plate, and I look at what I need to do in that situation to be successful, and I stay within myself. And, boy, he rolled that all the way to Cooperstown. Wow. Not to say that the guy I'm going to mention is on that level, but as far as the closest thing the Blue Jays have had to that over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, was Jose Bautista that guy, the guy that in a certain situation, or if he was if he was pissed off, Jesse, he could he could use that to his advantage. Uh, was was he that type of player that could rise in certain occasions? Yes, he was. And uh, one of the things about Jose, although he had tremendous power, he didn't really drive the ball to the opposite field a whole lot for power. And that's the difference uh, right there. When you get in a playoff situation, that's no knock against Jose. I loved Jose. still do to this day. But when you get in situations where you can hurt the opposing team, you may need to go up there and look for the slider down and away and drive it over the first baseman's head. I'd like to see more of that, uh, particularly in, in, in playoff baseball, because you're facing better pitchers. They're going to hit their spots. If you're going to win that game, if you're going to win that one nothing game, you, you, you might need to throttle back and do just that because pitchers are not going to always make mistakes. And when they don't, you have to take what they give you. I love kind of going down the list of the, the past Blue Jays sluggers. I saw something that you retweeted last week uh, comparing Harold Baines's career statistics to Fred McGriff's career statistics and kind of, you know, it, it's as close as negative as I've seen your, your Twitter feed <laughs> <laughs> kind of saying, hey, you know what? It's a shame that, that McGriff isn't in the Hall of Fame and that Baines is. But the question I have for you, if you had to pick between Fred McGriff and Carlos Delgado, former Blue Jays that I think have both kind of been slighted by the Hall, which one would be your pick for Cooperstown? Hmm. <clears throat> That's a tough one. That is a tough one. Can he say both, Tom? Can he just say both? <laughs> wow. It's funny, too. You, you mentioned Fred McGriff. We actually... We actually texted each other yesterday. He was telling me, hey, remember I told you I'm not even on social media. So thank you for 
keeping us alive for me. I said, Freddie, that's what friends do. And he said, you're, you're certainly that to me, and I appreciate it. Fred McGriff needs to be there. Carlos Delgado needs to be there. This organization has, has had a lot of great players. And for us not to have as many people in the Hall of Fame, uh, that, that's an injustice. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Just what we're seeing with this Blue Jays team now, and you mentioned it, that camaraderie, and it does bring back memories of you and Shaker and George in that outfield. And it was just, it was an unbelievable relationship the three of you guys had. Do you remember the first time you met those guys and, you know, how that went? And, and if, was it an instant connection? What do you recall about the first time you, you got to know those two? Yeah, Shaker and I hit it off right away. And uh, we were roommates in the instructional league, my second instructional league in 78. I was... Uh, I was there in 77 as well, but we were roommates. We hung out together. We did everything. We ate together and we really got to really know each other's uh, downfalls, weaknesses, strengths. And there's certain things you don't do and say around guys. And uh, George was a little bit different. He was a little, <laughs> yeah. He was a little cocky at first, but you know what? I understand where George Bell is coming from. And I want a guy like that on my team every day that goes out there, plays hard, uh, loves his teammates. But if you don't know George Bell, you think he's a little bit of a butthole, but he's not. He's a great teammate. But when he's out there on the field, yeah, he's not, he's not taking any prisoners. No, it's so true. I mean, as I've gotten to know George, and I didn't know George very well during his playing days, but I got to know him since. And I know that as you know, people get a little bit older, they mellow out a little bit. But when I met him at, at, at fantasy camp a few years ago, my thinking was, this guy is hilarious. I had no idea that that coarseness that people see is actually his sense of humor. I mean, he was constantly getting on my case, but he would always have that little that little laugh. Now, a lot of people got on my case because, you, you know, I wasn't very good, Jesse, but I tried my best. <laughs> hey, we can all be rippable sometimes, you know. <laughs> always tell me, Jesse, why are you always ripping me, man? I said, Tony, because you do crazy stuff. You're rippable, man. I got to get you. But I'll tell you a funny George Bell story. We were in Toronto and at a hotel. And this guy comes up to me. There was a lithograph of me, George, and Lloyd. Really nice. In fact, I love one of those. And George uh, hadn't signed it. Lloyd signed it. I signed it. He goes, do you think that Mr. Bell would sign this for me? I said, Hold on, time out. I said, this is your first mistake. Don't call him Mr. Bell. Go up to him. I said, you got to trust me on this. If he doesn't do it, I'll get it done personally. But this is how you handle it. You go up to George and say, hey, George, I need you to sign this. And look right in his eyes. The guy was shivering. I said, no, trust me. Do it that way. He goes over to him. George, I need you to sign this. George looked at him. Looked down at it, looked back at the guy and said, okay, drop down and give me 10 outside it. <laughs> so he, he dropped down and he gave 10 push-ups. And George, he said, Jesse, he did it, he did it. This is the best George, George Bell autograph I've ever gotten. I said, hey, he's a teddy bear on the inside. I had a very similar experience with, with George, and it was at a golf tournament. And uh, we had set up and we were recording our show from there. And... George was between holes, and he had about 15 minutes before he had to tee off because it was slow. I said, George, 
can we get you, you know, to do a thing for our show? He goes, uh, I'm golfing, man. I'm like, no, I, it, it won't take long. How long will it take? I said, I don't know, three minutes. He looks at his watch, goes, okay, go. And we start talking to him. And he literally looks at his watch, goes, three minutes are up. Okay, bye. <laughs> and he starts <laughs> laughing. Yeah. And he looks at his watch, three minutes, right? And I'm like, this is, but it was, uh, it, the three minutes we had with him were phenomenal. Like, it was just so good, right? Likewise, I was with Je uh, George when Josh Donaldson was named the MVP, and George was kind enough to do a little video for him and congratulate him and stuff like that. So, yeah, the, the guy's got a big heart. I mean, yes, he did drop Buck Martinez on the stretcher when he broke his leg, but we can overlook that, Jess, right? <laughs> that is too funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I love George. We, we talk we talk periodically, and, yeah, I, I just wish those guys all the best. I wish we could see them more. By the way, I saw Fred McGriff at the Jays Fest three years ago, and I said, we got to get you on the show. He goes, I'd love to come on the show. And uh, so I said, can I give me a, give me an email? He goes, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I gave him mine. I still haven't heard from him yet. Next time you, you talk to Fred, tell him what a great time you had on this show. We need to get him some promotion out here. Jay's mm -hmm. fans would love to see Fred again. Let's get him into Cooperstown. Yes. yes. That too. No doubt. Because he PR campaign, him. right? Absolutely so, right. So Jesse, the three of you played a huge role in the baseball lives of like a lot of young people. As you can tell, I still have you right here in a place of honor in my basement. But the question I have is, you know, everybody knows when you get a group of three good friends together, two of them always get together and pick on one of them. So out of the, you three outfielders, who's the one that always made gets fun made of. fun of? Huh. Well, you're the youngest, aren't you? Well, he's Probably thinking George. about it. I, I say George. <laughs> With you because he deserves it. <laughs> no, seriously, he can dish it out. And he had to really understand if you're going to dish it out the way you dish it out, bro, you have to take it too. And so early in his career, he would dish it, but he'd kind of get a little upset when you get it back. I remember one time we're in the clubhouse and this came out of nowhere. It's quiet. We get ready to go out to the game, go out to play. We had a little quiet time where we're we're getting, it, we're getting ourselves ready mentally for that game. He turns around, he looks at me, it's quiet. He goes, Jesse, I'm a better hitter than you. Kind of threw me off guard. I, I didn't expect that. I looked up, I'm sitting down, I looked up at him and I said, yeah, yeah, you are. I'm like, he walked out with that laugh you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like mad at myself. That was a horrible comeback. That's a bad retort, Jesse. Come on, you're better than that. So I'm like, give me one more chance with this. Let him do it again. <laughs> so sure enough, a few weeks later, he didn't get a good enough rise out of me. So he goes, Jesse, I'm a better hitter than you. I said, yeah, you are, but I'm a better all-around player than you. Yeah, yeah, you you are. <laughs> Jesse, in, in 87, leading into that year, I believe that was the year that George was told he was going to DH to start the season. And we remember back then what happened as a group of the three of you as friends, I can, I would love to have been a, a fly on the wall when George came to you guys and said, can you believe this crap that I'm going through right now? Yeah. It, we knew it wasn't going to be good that day. You know, <laughs> he goes, there is no way I'm going to DH. These guys are crazy, man. <laughs> so, you know what happened? 
and they called his name, and George Bell is down in the bullpen. So they better get another pinch hitter for him because he's he's not he's not playing. He's not playing. And we knew right then and there that when this guy says he's going to do something, he does it. So there was nothing that you and Shaker could do to kind of. You know, we tried to encourage him, but he had his mind made up. Made up. When you have your mind made up, there's not a whole lot of people can say to you about it. I understand. I mean, you go and come off MVP, and all of a sudden, they make a decision to make you DH. I'd be pissed off too. Do you, you know George got a little bit of a rough ride here by the you know from the media in Toronto, and and I remember being one of those kids that was really angry when he wouldn't come out. Um, but there were a lot of there were a lot of rough edges in those eighty five to to eighty nine Js. Um, is there any other player that sticks out in your mind as being sort of difficult to deal with or maybe misunderstood? misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great word, misunderstood, because I had fun with him every day, shaking all those guys. Ernie, Ernie was the one. He was the sneakiest guy ever. I loved Ernie Witt, still do to this day. But he would, he would stir some things up and back out. Buck Martinez was that way. He would stir some things up and back out. And they're sitting in the background laughing <laughs> as we go at each other. It's like a family. I mean, you're going to have stuff like that go on. But at the same time, you got to understand their heart. They don't mean anything by it. It's just the way they are. I remember when we had Ernie on the show and we were talking about how these days, you know, the mental part of the game has been such a, an important factor and teams have hired mental health coaches and stuff. And I said, so Ernie, back in your day, you know, if you had like an 0 for 20 and you were just so down in the dumps, uh, you know, did you guys, what did you guys have? He goes, we had Labatt's Blue. <laughs> That's a good call. <laughs> right, so that was, that was Ernie for you right there. Um, now, you're very active on social media these days. Back when you played, social media didn't exist. But let's just say for a second it did exist. So back in like eight, 1985, who on that team would have been the king of social media, the king of Twitter, and who would have been the one that was going around telling everybody, don't get on this thing? I would say probably Shaker. Um, the one that would say, don't get on this thing? Hmm. I'd have to think about that one. Well, it's funny you said Shaker because he's not on any social media right now. No, he's not. But had it been there back then when he was a star, he probably would have been. <laughs> you want to hear a cool Shaker story, Jesse? So back in, back when I was around 17 years old, so it was mid-80s, I had my first part-time job. I was selling shoes at a mall in Etobicoke called Sherway Gardens. And lo and behold, Shaker comes in wanting to buy a pair of shoes from me. But he asks for a size 13 in these white loafers. We only had up to size 12, and I was trying to convince him that he could shove his foot into that size 12 because I wanted to sell a pair of shoes to the to the shaker. That is too funny. Yeah. I should have yeah. sold a shoe stretcher. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure I tried everything I possibly could, uh, Jesse, to get it done. Um, I do want to ask you about one thing that we see a lot of on social media is not only tweets from you, and you talked about the, that family you had in the clubhouse and, and in the outfield, but you and Marla, your, your wonderful wife, are such an incredible team. I love the support she gives you. I love the support you give her. Uh, where did this love story begin? Are you guys high school sweethearts? Did you meet way back? How, how did you and Marla hook up? 
actually one of my best friends, uh, he was Terry Kennedy's backup with the San Diego Padres, who's in the World Series actually, was Doug Gush. His, nick his, his nickname was iChart because the way his name was spelled, it was like, it was, it was, it was horrible. We called him iChart. <laughs> he was actually dating one of her classmates at the time uh, at University of Houston. And I was dating someone. So he kept telling me, hey, you got to meet her. You got to meet Marla. So we went over to hit at, at the Hawkeyes Pavilion, getting ready for spring training. And he goes, hey, man, they're at the dorm right now. Let's, let's go over there. So I'm in my, my baby blues. And, and of course, back then you had to, they had to come down to get you. You can't just walk up and go up to their dorm room. And so she came down to get us and uh, he was dating her best friend, Pam. So they came down to get us. And I remember she was telling me this story. Uh, I get on the elevator and I'm towards the front of the elevator. She's behind me. And she said, I have to admit, I saw those baby blue pants and I'm looking down and I'm, I'm like, wow, this, this is nice. <laughs> so, so, so I go up, we finally get out of the elevator and there was a guy sitting in her room with some other people. I thought it was her boyfriend, so I didn't make a move. You know, I'm a gentleman, I didn't make a move. So that guy finally left, I left and I didn't call him back. And then Doug had to go out to, to, to San Diego for an appearance and she called Pam, Pam called Doug and gave Marla, Marla got my phone number and she called me. I was actually laying on the couch sleep and she woke me up. And later that afternoon we met up for the first time and uh, you know, outside of her school and we had lunch, we talked and I knew I was in trouble. That other girl, I broke up with her a week later and uh, we've been together, we've been married 39 years now. Fantastic. Wow. Is she, is she around? Is she there right now? Yeah, she's probably still asleep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I was talking to her last week, and I said, come on, jump on with, with Jesse. I want to, we want to hear from you, too, but it, I don't want to wake her up. So Yeah, we, we, we'll do that next time for sure, because uh, she told me that, and she won't mention it to me if she doesn't want to do it. She'd be glad to do something like that. Yeah. Was it difficult starting a relationship when you're essentially gone for half of the year? No, no, not at all, because the trust was there. Uh, it actually helped because if you're around a person 24-7, I mean, you can get on each other's nerves. I'm not going to lie. And sometimes we'll just look at each other and go, hey, I'm going to go upstairs in the, in the room and, and just chill for it. Yeah, you, you do just that. Go ahead. Because I know I get on her nerves too sometimes. But, uh, you know, I love coming up here and chilling and watching sports. And she gives me my space when I need it, and I give her hers when she needs it. That's exactly it. I've been with my wife since 1989. And so the, all those years when I was on the road with the Blue Jays, I think that saved my marriage. I think being away that long is what kept us together all, the, all these years. There's something to be said about it. It, it is my, very, I think it keeps it fresh. Yeah. My wife always tells me she likes me more and that we get along better when I'm away. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. And, and you probably went through the same stuff, Jesse, that um, – you know, as the season starts to wear on and when the season's over, you know, your wife, Marla's probably like, oh, I can't wait for Jesse to come home. I can't wait for her to get home. Then come like early January. And she's like, are you heading up to Florida soon? Like, are you going to like, it, it, like the clock is ticking, Jesse. You need to go. Right. Uh, there are times. But, uh, you know, funny, my family was with me a lot. I remember Buck Martinez actually teasing my wife and said, uh, 
hey, you have team luggage also? And she said, I, actually, I do. Jesse got me some. So I love my family with me on the road. And uh, spring training, those, that's the most fun time ever down there because things are a little more relaxed, especially when you have the ball club already made. But there was some, there was some, some nervous times when I first met her. I wasn't even sure if I was going to make the ball club in 82. But I picked it up a little bit towards the end, and I ended up being on that team as well. So it was uh, – she was there the whole time with me. Was it mostly that the like did the married guys kind of hang out with each other more, and then the single guys hung out with each other more? Because it's two totally different lifestyles. I know when I travel, I didn't go out a lot with the media because most of them were either single or wishing they were single. If you know what I'm yeah. saying, and that just wasn't my scene, right? I felt the best way to avoid getting in trouble is to avoid being in a situation that could lead to trouble. So I just stayed away from that. Yeah, I got teased a lot about always having a room service tray outside my, my, my hotel room, one tray. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the guys would come and knock on the door and, uh, come on in, man. And they're kind of looking around, you know, they'll, they'll peek in the closet, go to the bathroom. And I know what they're doing. They're looking for somebody, but there's nobody there. You, you hear, only thing you're hearing is me laughing at the comedy. You be laughing at the TV program. And chilling. That's, that's all I basically did. I'd go out and eat with the guys and hang out with them. But uh, I didn't mind staying to myself when I needed to. Is that well, sort listen. of thing... Oh, sorry. Ahead, yeah. Tom. Tom. Yeah. Is that sort of thing gone from today's game? Like, are, are they... Are the are the current Blue Jays going out into the clubs and dogging it? Like the... Uh, the... No. I mean, with social media, can you imagine <laughs> going outside... And doing some stupid stuff, you're crazy if you did that today. But uh, now these guys have a good head on their shoulder, and uh, for that I'm grateful. Well, Jesse, one of the great things about our show is that we we bring in some of our our fans and uh, uh, your fans, and we allow them to to interact with you. So we're going to bring in uh, four people that uh, all would love to uh, say hello to you and uh, ask you a question. So. We'll, we are bringing them in right now for you. And what else we got here? Is everybody in? Oh, I still got to bring in Craig here. All right. So, Jesse, uh, you have John and Sue. We have Jody. And in a moment, you'll have Craig. So uh, let's begin with uh, with John and Sue. I, I know you guys both know Jesse. So say hello. And, and Sue, you go first. Oh, hi, Jesse. Great to see hey. you. How are hi. you? Good. <laughs> I, I would just like to ask, what uh, rings are you wearing? Well, I got the home run ring. That one. Got my wedding band. <laughs> That's it. Oh, it was the home one, the home run ring that caught my eye. It was kind of bling, bling. nice <laughs> bling. Sue, you, ne you never asked me about my uh, fantasy camp ring, where my team beat Team Jesse Barfield for the championship. That's funny. Yes. Now, That's that, awesome. Nice. Put that up there again. Let me see that. Put that up there again. Let me see that. I tell you what, they win the World Series this year. I'm designing the next one. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. That came courtesy of one of my uh, teammates on Fantasy Camp, and uh, he had them made for all of us, and uh, it's a nice little keepsake to have. It is. That's, that's beautiful. My favorite question to uh, former Jays players is, what do you think of the new rules, the MLB rules, like um, – Extra innings with oh. a runner on second base, and I—I I think we know already. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you why I don't like. It. 
for me to see a runner on second base, nobody out, and time after time he gets stranded. I mean, whatever happened to a bunt? Whatever happened to get jammed and hit inside baseball and get it hit it the other way? I mean, they're basically giving you a run, but yet you're trying to hit a, a three-run home run with a runner on second base? Come on, man. That's not winning baseball. Are you kidding me? And it all boils down to what's a – it's not a payable stat to bunt him over. It's not a payable stat to hit behind the runner. Yeah, but it's a stat that will help you win ball games. You'll be rewarded in the end anyway. They need to get rid of that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sue. And, and Jesse, if they instituted a rule like that back when you guys played it, God, can you imagine the 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 fallout from the players? Uh, you know, I was talking to, to Pat <laughs> Henkin last week about, you know, can you imagine how Roy Halladay would have reacted if he was coming off the mound and an umpire asked him to undo his belt and look inside his pants? Like, it, it just, these things just weren't part of baseball when we were growing up. Unfortunately, those they, these things are part of baseball, but you have to roll with the punches. Uh, you know, people look at you and say, well, He's old school. That's no, you have to be school in baseball because things have changed a lot. Uh, some old school is great, but you have to adapt. This is what we have. This is, this is these are the cards we're dealt right now, and you have to deal with it. I don't think that rule honestly will, will stick right on second base. And the seven inning games, play nine. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Uh, the next card that you're going to be dealt is John. John, say hello to Jesse. Hey, Jesse, say hi to Marla from us, and uh, I hope she's still doing the jewelry. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah, and, she's her studio. And I love your your Twitter posts with pictures of your grandchildren and your faith. Keep them going. Yes, There's yes, lots. Of Thank you but so much. I want to ask you about managers, and it, the, I apologize for looking down because I'm looking at some notes here. So 81 to 89, you're with the Blue Jays. You have Bobby Maddock in 81. You've got Bobby Cox from 82 to 85. You win yeah. the AL East. You've got Jimmy 1M Williams from 86 to 89. And then Cito takes over when the team is 12 and 24 in 89. Then you go to the Yankees. And where did it go? Dallas Green. Yeah. yeah. Dallas Green. So you have Dallas Green. Bucky Dent, Stump Merrill, Buck Showalter, and you even had, um, you even had, um, um, who was it? <laughs> Dick Hauser for one, Ralph Halk for one game. So as a player, <laughs> what's it like having all those different managers and different approaches to the game? That didn't bother me because you, you, Listen, I came from a great organization with the Blue Jays. We were taught fundamentals. We were taught how to win with Bobby Cox. And uh, Cito Gaston was my batting coach. I never had a chance to play for him. I would have loved it. But I got along with every one of my managers because they knew I was going to get give them 100% of what I was that day. And I may not have been a 100%, but if I'm 80%, you know that I'm going to give you 100% of that 80 so I didn't have a problem with the managers. I played the game right. We were taught how to play the game right. But you have to adapt. Uh, every one of those guys you mentioned had one thing in common, play the game right, play it hard, and respect each other. Awesome. John, thank you so much for your question. Appreciate that. Uh, let's move over to Jody. Jody, say hello to Jesse. Morning, Jesse. How are you doing? Hey, Jody. How are you? 
Good, good, good. Um, we had the pleasure of meeting you in the batting cages at Winterfest a few years back, and I sure hope that um, you know COVID goes away so we can do that oh. again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My my son thinks that that the rest of Winterfest is boring and that the batting cages is where it's <laughs> like loop the line like his favorite roller coaster. Yes. To get to go in there and and bat and. Um, you know, you were such a gentleman posing for pictures with people and stuff. So I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask you um, uh, about your time now as a, a not playing ball player. What's your favorite part of um, what you do with the Jays now? Well, it's basically, I feel like a, 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 a very proud uncle. You know, these are my little <laughs> nephews and and these are my little brothers out there doing their thing, trying to make it to the next level and, and, and trying to trying to get to the to the World Series. And we're here for support. That's that's what we're here for. And uh, anything I can do to encourage those guys, I'll do it. And I'm very proud of them. I'm very proud of how they've come back, how they, they were able to withstand all the the COVID-19 travel, being in three different home ballparks. You know, people don't don't think that's very difficult. I think it actually made the team uh, uh, click better. The camaraderie's there. And I think it molded them into, can you imagine having 50,000 fans in the dome right now? It would be crazy. Especially with the roof closed, man. You'd have earplugs in your ear right now. It's well, amazing with 15. I've been to seven games since they reopened yeah. and it, the environment is just out of this world. <laughs> it is incredible. And, yep. and to see what, what they've gone through and, and where they are now is very satisfying to me. Je Jesse, how, I, go ahead, Todd. Oh, yeah. how, big, how big a factor do you think it was spending those almost two years on the road, not having a home stadium, living out of a suitcase? How big of an effect do you think it had on the team then? And is it something that's helping them just kick butt now that they finally have their home? It is because stability is here. Um, people look at the different backdrops of ballparks to hit in. <clears throat> it takes a while to get reaccustomed or reused to the backdrops in the different ballparks because they're different. But them playing in the dome, I remember when I went to do the draft this year, and Commissioner Mansford came up to me. He's never said anything to me other than hello. He walked up to me before we got back in the dome and said, hey, do you know anybody uh, in, in, in government <laughs> that, that <laughs> could possibly get the Jays back? They need The Blue Jays need to be in Toronto. I said, yes, sir, we, we need to be in Toronto. However, I don't know anybody <laughs> in government or anything. I turn around, next thing you know, they okay. The Blue Jays are coming back. I'm like, yes, this is it right here. Jesse Barfield for mayor. I think that's what we need to do. How about that, but I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad that that the decision was made to do this. It was at the right time. Jesse, as as a kid growing up, it was Exhibition Stadium for me, and I know it was you know it was a bit of a dump, but it had a certain charm, and it's the memories I have, whether it be sitting on hard metal benches uh, down the first baseline or sitting out in the bleachers getting my tickets uh, junior jays tickets for two bucks at dominion but there was a certain charm about it from a from a fan perspective i think anybody who's listening and watching that's old enough to remember will know that 
But as a player, did that stadium have any redeeming qualities at all? Like, was there anything about that ballpark that you guys liked? I loved it. Come on. I, I came, man, dude, I, I came from, Dundee, I'm, I'm sorry, I came from uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. I came up from Double A. Would you rather be at Exhibition Stadium than <laughs> 40, 47,000 people, or would you rather be in Knoxville, Tennessee, playing at an old stadium? Okay, I'll good take, point. I'll take the big leagues over over Double A any day. Uh, you guys saw beyond the bleachers. I'm sorry, beyond the wall at right field. You saw the open space. Remember, we didn't see that from our perspective. It was weird not having fans behind you in right field. There's enough ballparks out in, in, in the American League and that had fans behind you. That was the only weird thing about it. It was wide open space behind you in right field and center field. But as far as the fans right there for you, I love that place. I talk to the kids all the time in right field and wave at people. You didn't have a whole lot of foul territory. The bullpen was right there. You had to be careful. That 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 could have that could have easily been an injury. But other than that, I mean, it's a great. It was a great place to play. The ball carried out to right center. Uh, the wind blew off of Lake Ontario out to right center. So if you didn't hit the ball the other way, I mean, that, that wasn't very smart if you were right. Talking about the, the weather at Exhibition Stadium. I mean, I remember the, the, the home run in the fog. I think it was Gruber that, that hit and nobody found the ball. Do you, have, do you have one story that sticks out in your mind of just the wacky weather at the X that you had to go through? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was early in the season and that wind was howling off Lake Ontario that day. And it was a pitching change. And I walk out towards the right field fence. And I get behind one of the one of the uh, actual uh, tarp, the team. I forgot what team it was. It might have been Oakland or whoever. But I'm I caught myself. I said, this is this doesn't look right. And so we were complaining about the conditions. And Bobby Cox at the time held a meeting and he said, guys, enough complaining about the weather. Use it to your advantage. The other teams have to come in here and play in this. They're not used to it. So stop the complaining and use it to your advantage. That was the last time we ever said anything about the weather. There's a reason why Bobby Cox was the manager he was in his career. So there you go. All right, uh, Jody, thank you. One more to go. Craig, wearing the baby blue in honor of Jesse Barfield. Say hello to Jess. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Tom, crew, and the crew for having me back on Love It, Jesse. My gosh, epic to be able to talk to you. A few quick house cleaning, uh, housekeeping things, Jesse. I'm the Craig Ballard 77 on Twitter that probably keeps annoyingly sending you my Blue Jays videos. So right out of the gate, Jesse, I do apologize. Uh, and, and as well, can we just go ahead? I know I'm not wearing a hat, but a quick hack tip to the epic Zoom setup that Jesse Barfield has. Yeah, He's got himself awesome. in the bottom answering questions. Yeah. That, oh, are, are my two gold gloves in the picture as well? Oh, that's a nice coincidence. Oh, mm. lovely. So, Jesse, my God. And lastly, Jesse, because I need to slugger. in a good I got a and silver slugger. Oh my gosh, it's got the whole thing. It's got it all on display. Oh my god. Jesse Barfield, nobody's fool. I got the yeah. here. Oh my god. <laughs> Epic. Epic. Don't tell me that's a nameplate from one of your lockers, too. Don't round it off and, and just be so classic that no, that's I, a nameplate. It's not. I had it. Okay. <laughs> design from uh from my company sports design. So oh awesome still. Awesome. Now, Jesse, I have to mention so I can continue to have a relationship with my mom. She's made it crystal clear that I need to make it clear to Jesse Barfield that she's a massive Blue Jay fan and her favorite Blue Jay ever, number 29, Jesse Barfield. So I feel like I've been a good son and acknowledge that with your – okay, thank you. Yes. He's Jesse, made him feel question, old, too. 
No, no way, no way. Jesse's looking like a million bucks. He's looking like he could hit four, hit third or fourth in the lineup right now. Sure. I don't know about that, but I'll give it a whack. There you go. Now, Jesse, my question, when you think about Jesse Barfield, the baseball player, I do think you think about the defense. Not as a defensive specialist. Jesse could handle the bat. We know that. But you think about what comes to mind, that gold standard for right arms out in right field, that Jesse Barfield arm. So what I'd love to, uh, to have you do here, Jesse, is take us through a life cycle of that cannon. When you were growing up, when did you realize, hey, this will work? And, you know, as you continue to grow up, it was separating you from your peers. Uh, how long, once you were drafted and in baseball, was your right arm the best-kept secret in baseball? And then finally, at one point, Jesse, did you start to take it downright personally when you saw that third-base coach waving the runner home on you, when you saw that runner trying to stretch that single to a double right in front of your face? At what point did you start to take that personally? So take us through the life cycle, Jesse, of that cannon that you've got. Great question. It all started – that's a great question. Uh, it all started when I was probably 11, 12 years old. Wow. Uh, my house, right across from the railroad tracks, you have to walk down to the end of the street. You had an open field, railroad tracks, and there was an old steel mill that had just shut down. And I was trying to, I picked up some rocks. I'm trying to make it all the way past the tracks and hit the steel mill. And uh, finally, one day, I'm probably 14 years old. I picked one of the one of the smooth rocks up, and I just boom, and guess what? I got me a window. Bling! Yes, oh, man. That was a sweet music. That must have been sweet. It's a sweet sound. Yes, sir. And as far as uh, I was actually drafted as a center fielder, and then they moved me to right field in 1982. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I take that back. In, in 1978. Because Dave Steve was actually in center field. I, I was in right field. Wow. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize, don't yeah. remember that. Steve started off as a center fielder with, with the Blue Jays. And they remembered him as a pitcher. And I'm glad they remember because he was a head. <laughs> but uh, they moved me to right field. And it worked out great for me because I was hoping to make it to the big leagues as a right fielder. And it worked out for me. Wow. So being a fielder... You know, you neutralize the first and third situation. Um, you have to have that best arm in right field or the most accurate arm. Guys that get rid of the ball quickly. Footwork is important. Jimmy Williams was an amazing coach. All the best all-around coach we ever had. He was wow. great at footwork. He was great at bunting. You name it, Jimmy Williams knew how to do it. <clears throat> so he, he enhanced what I already had. Um, he was a genius. Wow. But, I never took anything for granted uh, because I the one time I took something for granted in center field, a guy tagged up, and I'm like, no, nah, this is shallow. He's not going to go. I double clutched. Man, he was safe. I said, I'll never do this again. Uh, I'll never take anything for granted. So if you charge the ball, especially playing on that AstroTurf in Toronto, if you charge the ball, you come up hard, most of the time they're not going to go anyway. So – by doing that, getting to it quickly and getting rid of it mm -hmm. quickly, quickly, it's going to take another base hit to score him. A lot of times with our pitching staff, that base hit never came. Jesse, I remember maybe about seven, eight years ago, and, and Craig, you'll remember who it was that was at the plate for Baltimore, and Jose Bautista decided he was going to, and he was pissed off at the time, let's face it. Jose was mad. He tried to throw him out at first base, and it, it, it blew out his arm, and I don't think his arm was ever the same after that. Have you ever had moments in your career where you were like, you know, really contemplating? I, I think you did you ever do it once? Something tells me that you once 
through to first base. But like, is that a tempting thing as an outfielder? I'd have to look at the stats. Someone said I threw out Ricky Henderson at first base. I don't. I don't know. Uh, somebody can find somewhere, and Ricky Henderson can fly. Yeah. And if that was the case, I could possibly see that happening because <clears throat> I've never seen Ricky hit a ball over a right fielder's head. So I would play him a little shallow anyway and, and try to take the little dinker that he would hit every now and then with the bullets that he hit too. But I can see that happening, but I honestly do not remember wholeheartedly me throwing Ricky out at first. Someone said I did. I, I don't know. But uh, a guy like Ricky Henderson – so, you know, he did so many things well on the, on the field. And we were teammates with the Yankees. I remember when Ricky called me up and said, hey, they're going to honor me at the stadium. I want you to be there. I said, what, uh, what uniform do you want me to wear? He said, we were teammates with the Yankees. So wear the Yankee jersey. Well, I was just in Toronto about a week, 10 days prior to this, and doing something for the Blue Jays. And it just so happened they were playing the Blue Jays that day. So we come down center field, down this hill. All of us are in a, in a classic convertible. We're riding around. We get in front of the Blue Jays dugout. And I knew this was going to happen. So I planned ahead of time, and I had my Blue Jays jersey. I'm sure you guys have seen it online before. I had my Blue Jays jersey underneath, my Yankee jersey underneath. And so when, I, when they got around the side, I told the, the driver, stop. They're ripping me a new one. Hey, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you kidding me? Well, I unbutted it. Lo and behold, there's my Blue Jays. Like, oh, okay, we got you. We got you. Love I it. knew that. I knew that was. That's fantastic. Well, this is a great place to end. So, Jesse, uh, on behalf of everyone here, uh, thank you so much. I know we've, we've tried real hard to, to kind of hook up with you. You've got a very, very busy schedule. And I do thank you so much for, for making the time to, to spend with us here today. My pleasure. Well, there he is, folks. Former Toronto Blue Jay, Jesse. Barfield and once again we have our OTP insiders joining in having an opportunity to chat with Jesse Barfield how rare is that we would like more of you to join in on these zoom chats and all you have to do to join in on one of these zoom chats with one of your favorite former Toronto Blue Jays is do what Tom patreon.com slash out of the park three dollars a month five dollars a month Support us a little bit, and you get to take part every single week in a communication and a great chat with legendary Blue Jays, with reviled Blue Jays, with beloved Blue Jays. You know, it's it's the best part of the week for everybody that sits in on these talks. Join us. And Jesse, I know you're watching now. We appreciate everything that you're doing to help us get Fred McGriff on the show. We want to help Fred McGriff get some attention and get some votes to get into that Hall of Fame because I think Jesse's bang on. Fred McGriff deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, right? Yep, Yeah. big time. So again, a big thank you to Jesse Barfield for joining us, of course. Thank you to Raj Sapaya for joining us as well. Uh, You know, Jesse Barfield did a lot of great things, okay? And as a ball player, Jesse was so much better than, than I could ever dream of. But where Jesse Barfield really stood above me was he had so much better hair than me. Don't you think? He had, I would say, the best hair in baseball during his playing days. You know what, Barry? Your hair, when you were younger, I've seen the pictures. 
mm -hmm. was so legendary. The only person I've ever seen with better hair than you was your wife. We actually did share the same haircut at one point. Now I'm in jeopardy of sharing the same haircut with you, which is not a good thing. Tom, as always, thank you. And thanks to all of you for making us a part of your week.